Good morning, Joe. How are you today? I'm doing very well, Richard. Very well. That's great. That's great. Uh, are you uh, enjoying the weather, sunshine? So it's such a beautiful morning. I was just walking uh, to the hub and happened to talk to one of my neighbours and we were just talking about how it's such a beautiful gift to have a sunny day, <laughs> a warm day. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Very happy. Yeah. <laughs> have you been outside yet? Um, yeah, just, you know, watering a few plants or poking around. But, uh, yeah, enjoying the sunshine. I feel like this, uh, this uh, isolation will get harder when the weather gets colder and grimmer. So. I completely agree. I was just thinking about that yesterday too, that feeling of I want to go outside but I really don't want to go outside. <laughs> that will be your attention. <laughs> yes, that will be tough. Mm, yeah, so what's, mm. uh, yeah, what's going on with isolation life for you at the moment, Joe? What, what stories have you got? Well, I've been thinking about my indoor plants a lot because <laughs> yep. I've been looking at them a lot because I can't leave my house uh, as much. And I've actually had a loss in the family. Oh, yes. no. I, I overwatered oh, my calathea. Yeah. Oh, no. That's, I, I love your indoor plants, Joe. But that's, I know. That's, uh, I know. Um, Richard, your wife knows how to keep a plant alive. Oh. I felt like I needed to give her a call and say, Ben, <laughs> what am I doing wrong here? No. But I, I happened to Google this plant and discovered that it's actually, months ago I Googled, yeah. it's actually quite a complex plant to keep alive. So that's my comfort to myself. But as I grieve this <laughs> foolish overwatering of just getting it too wet and then it dying from the roots up, that uh, it's a hard plant to keep alive at the best of times anyway. So yeah. I'm not going to take it personally yeah. too much. All right. I think Jane had a calathea that's more or less, it's trying to die. So that, uh, oh, do you, I've got three. Okay. I've got three and I'm down to two. Do you have like a ceremony or something when you drop a, a plant in the bin or the green waste? Do you say goodbye? No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> I just stop it. <laughs> I have a list. I have a list of plants I've killed just to keep me humble yeah. <laughs> and learning. <laughs> That's good to hear. Yeah, indoor plants, it's a, it's a joy we can keep on doing during That's lockdown. Exactly right. So mm-hmm. I hope you – What about you, Richard? Uh, let's see. We did something new yesterday. So we took the family out for a walk, which is normally a bit boring, So or we're getting a bit tired of our neighbourhood. So for something different, we drove about a suburb away down around to New Lambton kind of um, in that stretch of houses between the shops and up the hill to the John Hunter. There's a bit of a, oh, yes. bit of a fancy part of town. So uh, went there for something a bit different and uh, we invented a game called um, Walking Bingo where uh, before we left, got out of the car, we came up with 10 things we were going to look for on our sort of 2K walk like um, a trampoline or stained glass windows or Ooh. Christmas lights or a water feature or something like that. So we had this ten list of 10 things and uh, it suddenly made the walk a whole lot more interesting, especially for the kids because they were like, "Yeah, right, come on, where's, we've got to find this basketball court, um, the basketball hoop. Um, they just got into it so much. So, um, yeah, uh, walking bingo, I can recommend that to any anyone who's wanting to uh, bring a little bit more excitement into the compulsory walk around the suburbs. That sounds really fun. That really, I actually drove to New Lambton and had a walk yesterday as well oh, because yeah. I was getting sick of Hamilton. Yeah. And I just walked around looking at people's paint jobs. I don't know why, but I was fascinated. I was thinking, oh, that's an interesting paint colour. That's not a very interesting paint colour. 
or I really like how they've done the two different shades. And yeah, New Lambton, who knew yeah. it would be so interesting? <laughs> it's, it's nice to pick a theme. So, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, we might do that again. That was fun. Oh, that sounds good. And uh, how's Bible reading going, Joe? What are you up to? Well, I've been reading and rereading Malachi again and again. Oh, wow. And I was going to talk today with you. I've got a curly question. Oh, um, right. Okay. I know, I know. So I've been reading Malachi 4 yep. and I've been thinking about that very famous first, final few verses and I've realised that I've read it and read it again and again and actually not really digested it properly. Yeah. So verse 5 of chapter 4, See, I'll send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He'll turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. I've always been like, yes, yes, that's, that happens. And you flip over to Matthew and, oh, look, there's the Elijah. And it's actually John the Baptist. Mm. How great. It's so wonderful. But what I realized as I was reading chapter four is that I don't actually know what it means that they will turn the hearts of the parents, like that Elijah will turn the heart of the parent to the child and the child to the parent. Because that feels like quite a new image in a lot of ways mm. in the whole book. Yeah. Um, there's a reference to marriage in earlier in chapter two. Um, and other than that, I've found it hard to understand. And so I've been just sort of thinking about that the last day or two. Um, I'm held back from going and reading something else because I've been trying to work out, well, what do I think it means? Anyway, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, no, I like your um, curiosity. It's a good thing. <laughs> I, I've had the same question. It's, um, it's a bit different, doesn't it? Normally you read about prophets and they're saying, It'll be something like call the nation to repentance or um, mm. uh, uh, preach condemnation or something like that. But, um, mm. yeah, this interesting of turning the hearts of the parents to their children. Uh, yeah. Now, I, my thoughts, uh, yeah, parents and children, you think um, uh, one thought, I oh, probably had this already, but the background of the law, like um, the, the um, fifth commandment to honour your father and mother. Mm. Um and some other laws, say in Deuteronomy, that flow out of that, like um, yeah, respecting and honouring your uh, parents and the the parents sort of teaching and training the children. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely thought of Deuteronomy mm-hmm. because I thought of Deuteronomy. What is it four or six where it talks about this is how we are to go? You know, have the law ever on your lips, mm-hmm. bind them on, you know, have have them on your doorposts, and all that kind of. Yeah. This is how we're to talk about this all the time with our children yeah that's it um, is that where you were heading or yeah, yeah like yeah it's Deuteronomy 6 um mm. fathers training the sons and so part I think it's just all a bit theoretical but part of this is like a, a law vibe of of the right um return mm. to the law um yeah oh, second second thought might be just Elijah himself trying to think about what ministry he had um but I can't remember if that would be more spiritual, trying to turn the children of God, the Israelites, back to their spiritual father, the Lord. That was his great ministry there on Mount Carmel, calling them back. Mm. Um, I, thought, I thought I've had, just as we were talking, actually, because I just was rereading it as we were chatting. Mm. So chapter 3, verse 7 of Malachi. Yeah. Um, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and you've not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Yeah. Bringing in the ancestors, that has a picture of parents or at least a fam- like generations of family. 
and that's got your turning in it as well, like the turning mm. of heart. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's the continuation there of generations of Israelites. We're wanting to see generations of Israelites return to truth, return to God, um, and that would see both children honouring their parents, like you were saying, but I can't, I can't see how it fits with the children turning to their parents. Yeah, yeah. Their parents turning to their children, I should say. Yeah. No, the three of us isn't really good. Chances are, I reckon, that behind that word ancestor is probably the word father. NIV mm. 11 it tends to translate fathers as ancestors in that way. So. Oh, does it? I picked that up. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, so have a look at the ESV. It might have something different. Um. But uh, yeah, definitely. Either way, yeah, either way. I've, I was thinking it is connected to the idea of the father in chapter three, verse seventeen. So on the day when I act, says the sovereign, says the Lord Almighty, they'll be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares mm. his son. Oh, yeah. serves him. I think that in this whole theme, you can see how God is the true father, the good father who has compassion and spares their yeah, yeah. wayward child. And so, hmm. yeah, no, totally. I think you can't separate chapter four from that spiritual mm. father-son uh, thing going on in Malachi. Mm, mm. I think I interrupted you before. Was there something else you were going to say? No, that's all I had. Yeah, that's all you had. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you, Richard? Uh, you're often reading something interesting. What have you been yes. reading lately? Yeah, no, I've been um, enjoying some reading lately. Um, I've been uh, thinking a lot about the body like uh, and physicality uh, during this COVID time online learning, all that sort of stuff. And uh, so I went looking around for something to read and came across a great book called Embodied Hope, A Theological Meditation on Pain and Suffering uh, by a guy called Kelly M. Kapik. Um, he's a professor of theology at Covenant College in Georgia, uh, which I don't know anything about particularly, but he wrote this in 2017, so not that long ago. But um, it kind of came out of... Uh, He's a situation where his wife, Tabitha, was diagnosed with cancer in 2008. And then, although she recovered from that in 2010, was diagnosed with connective tissue disease, which I don't know anything about really, wow. but means kind of debilitating pain in, in the arms and legs. And that experience just led him to meditate very deeply on the Bible and uh, think and write about pain and suffering. And so he's written this book particular focus on physical pain and, and thinking about the, the body as part of that. And so uh, it's been very pastoral, actually. He, he calls the book a, a theological and pastoral meditation. So it's very humble, wow. but, but bringing stuff about suffering to us. And um, I'm only partway in, but it's been really good. Um, I'll share two points that I've really mm. benefited from. I think one is uh, in his introduction, he talks about how our normal desire to know why pain and suffering happens and kind of even call God to account, so why is this happening, What can you explain it, it actually flows out of a lot of Enlightenment philosophy. Um, the, yeah. You know how the Enlightenment had that idea of we're kind of the masters of our world and we examine and explore understand everything and, and God is mm. himself is goes under the microscope and needs to, we need to understand him in that, sort of posture in that attitude but um he's saying that's not the attitude of the bible writers and not necessarily the attitude of a lot of christians throughout history um they're in dealing with pain and suffering it wasn't that kind of enlightenment 
I must know why this is and why this happens. Um, it's a different approach of uh, humility, of uh, question, questions for sure, but not the questions just coming out of a, a relationship of faith with God, um, coming to God for valuing God for his comfort, his goodness, his control, his, his care. Yeah, and so it was just a new idea for me that that my relation attitude to suffering uh, is flowing is coming uh, is flowing out of that enlightenment cultural background. So, mm. and it does make one reflect on their heart as they ask questions because I think as I I imagine what this man would be going through to watch his wife suffer in such a significant way and have that suffering be something he enters into um, mm. in such an intimate way to then challenge your heart about how you are asking questions about that situation and to see the historical context. Well, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, that was great. And the next one in the chapter was a big one on Psalms, or the Psalms of Lament. And um, oh, wow. I just, uh, yeah, just so sensitive. So coming out of someone who has experienced or with his wife a lot of suffering, um, just the, the attitude of, of the Psalms, uh, questioning, um, expressing the relationship of faith. Um, so, yeah, just like the Psalms of Lament are kind of hard to get your head around, the chapter mm. itself explores all that sort of territory. Um, but wow. a, a quote I, I, I highlighted, to, he says, we must never forget uh, what ultimately shapes biblical lament is not the need of the creature to cry its woe, but the faithfulness of the God who hears and acts. Mm. Um, I just, yeah, I found that very helpful and it's it's quite right that we as Christians go to the Psalms during times of suffering. Do you have a favourite psalm you would go to, Richard, or one you particularly appreciate oh, or not really? Yeah, no, I I. It could change, but for now, I, I, Psalm 13 is a go-to psalm for me. I think it's mm. it's short. Uh, it's it's a classic psalm of lament. Um, so it's got all the things there that make up a psalm of lament, the, the questioning, the um, the fears, the consequences, the ending in hope and so on. Um, yeah, it's such a beautiful ending, isn't it? So mm, simple one. Mm, yeah, and it really does turn your heart in the lament. Sorry, interrupting yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so... Um, and I think it just uh, yeah, captures a bit of the wrestle, the anguish that we go through with suffering. So, mm. yeah. How about you, Joe? Do you have a go-to psalm? Well, I, I actually discovered Psalm 13 in a big way last year. Mm. I don't think I'd appreciated Psalms of Lament until last year. Mm. Um, but, yes, Psalm 13, definitely I read it and reread it and read it again mm. and but I am challenged by his suggestion that it's not about soothing my own emotion, actually, but instead seeing the creator at work in, hard, in difficult times, in hard times. Mm. And, and the psalm is like reshaping how we view a psalm of lament. I, mm, I like that. Yeah, yeah, that is. It's, it's not about us, even though the psalms of lament serve us so well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, well, thanks for sharing that, Richard. That's great. No worries. Yeah, so I'm still getting to the chapter on the body and physicality and the incarnation, so I've got plenty to look forward to there. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing about it in the future. Will do, yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful.
All right. Well, it's been uh, great talking with you, Joe. Mm, yes. And we'll chat another time. Yeah. Look forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Sounds good. See ya. See ya. See ya.